Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. What an incredible ministry over the years and, and two, over two billion. Did I hear that right? 2.1 billion with a B. That's unbelievable. God's word will not return void. And so we know that all of those Bibles have um, just changed lives. Praise the Lord for that. Let me pray for us before we're going to jump in this morning. Father, we just thank you for our time together. We thank you for the opportunity to, to study your word, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to your name, Lord. We thank you for the Gideons. And for their service now for um, many, many decades, Lord, for their desire to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all that would hear. Father, I thank you for the commitment this church has made over the years to give money. Father, I pray that we'd be generous again today. And Lord, we know that every penny we give goes to send out a Bible somewhere. So I just pray that the money we give would be used to further your kingdom. Father, use it in, just in supernatural ways. Uh, place those Bibles in the hands of the people that need to hear. Place those Bibles in the hotel rooms, Father, and in the prisons and in the hospitals and in wherever you want them to go, Father. I pray that they would do great work, that people would read them and would receive Christ through this ministry. Father, bless us in what we do. May we be in our study today be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin with a question this morning, if I could. And the way that you answer the question will affect not only the way you live now but the way you live eternally. The question is very simple, very profound. But I'd like you to consider just for a minute this question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? That's a question that has been asked for centuries. Pilate, just before Jesus was crucified, asked him if he was the king of the Jews. Caiaphas, the priest, asked Jesus if he was the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus himself asked Peter, who do do people say that I am, Peter? And when Peter said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Jesus responded, Peter, who do you say that I am? To the Roman government official of the first century, Jesus was a nuisance and in their own words, an instigator. To the atheists of today, he's simply a figment of our imagination. But from the earliest centuries until today, the question still remains, who is Jesus Christ? If he's just some man, if he's just a teacher, then we're all foolish, aren't we? In the the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the third week in the sermon series that we've entitled, Tough Questions Answered. And we're walking through difficult questions that people ask and sometimes never really receive the answers to. And so we started on Easter Sunday morning with the question of the resurrection. Did Jesus really come back from the grave? Was Jesus really resurrected from the grave? Last week we spent some time asking the question, is the Bible really true? This morning we're going to ask the question, was Jesus really God? Next week we're going to finish up the series with the question, why would a good God allow evil? 
But I've kind of walked through this process with you and begin to answer these questions, but I've kind of given you some information at the beginning that I want to remind you of this morning. It's very important as we begin to think through this question about Jesus and whether or not he was fully God. I want to remind you this morning that we only have time to kind of scratch the surface. We only have time to get in some of the very uh, high-level information about Christ found in the Scriptures. I would encourage you and, and remind you that everything I'm going to say this morning is built upon the last two weeks. If the resurrection was real, which I believe it was, Jesus was really God. If the Bible is true, which I believe it really is, it speaks to His deity. And so everything we say this morning builds on the foundation of the last couple of weeks and builds on what we've said in those sermons. But I want to answer the question very simply this morning. Was Jesus Christ really God? And to help us answer that question, we're going to begin in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open them to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel. The first 14 verses of the gospel of John are called the prologue of John. Some scholars see this in their words as the Mount Everest of the scriptures. Contained in the first 14 verses of the book of John are some of the greatest words and the greatest testimonies about Christ anywhere in the scripture. We read in those first few verses redemption and forgiveness. We read of betrayal and rejection. We read of light and darkness. We read of life and death. And we see the, the Word of God, the life of Christ, all through these first 14 verses. Now we're going to focus this morning on the first five verses of John chapter 1. We're going to think through them together and then we're going to make some points and dig out some truth and show you some other scripture that will support it. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen as well for you to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not Overcome it. Now let's stop there. Let me make a point, kind of a foundational point, and we'll move on from there. Here's the first truth I want you to see. Very simply in Scripture. If we take the truth of God's Word and understand it and study it, we see, number one, Jesus was called God. Jesus was called God. Now I don't want to underestimate that because that's a pretty big deal. He claimed deity. And we find that throughout the Scripture, the names that are ascribed to Christ point to that deity. So he's going to call himself the Christ. He's going to call himself the Messiah. He's going to call himself God. The Scripture is going to do the same thing. Now let me give you just a little bit of background here to make sure you understand where we're going and what this Scripture means. I just read John 1. 1 through 5, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you were to skip down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, here's what the Scripture says. And the Word, it's the same thing we see in verses 1 and 2. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now some people claim that Jesus never said He was God. 
Some people say, in fact, if you read skeptics or you read the atheist account, they would say, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. The Bible doesn't call him God. That was something that was invented in the second and third century, right? So people, they would say in the first century, saw Jesus as a good teacher and a religious leader, but he never claimed to be God. And more importantly, they would say, the Bible never really calls him God. Well, if we understand what's happening in the first 14 verses of the book of John, we understand very clearly that the Lord is in fact calling Christ God. We see in John 1.14 in the beginning, excuse me, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so what we do if we understand John 1.1 with John 14, we can kind of change John 1.1 to say this. In the beginning was Jesus... And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. You see that? If John 1.14 says the Word became flesh, pull verse 1 up again if you would for me, please. If John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh, so the Word here is Jesus, right? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Right, we see this, this clear indication in Scripture here that God has become man, that the, the, the finite, his, his, uh, the infinite has come down to, to serve and to dwell among us and to, to make his living place among us. And so we see very clearly from John 1, verses 1 and 14, the Bible claims that Jesus was God. But this isn't the only place that it does this. In fact, if you were to study through Scripture, especially through the New Testament, you would see claims of Christ multiple different times speaking of the Father. I'm going to give you just a few examples. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now there are all sorts of instances in Scripture, and I don't have time this morning to read them all, where Jesus claims this idea of unity with the Father. He equates himself with the Father. He says several different times that he is one with the Father. We see in John 1, 1 and 14, this picture of Jesus being fully God. But there's some other things in Scripture that point to his deity that are important. I want you to understand the New Testament also uses different names. Now for us, names are not as big of a deal. When we read Scripture and we understand names and the importance of names, we know that they have meaning and they have purpose and they're given for certain reasons. For us, names are important, but they're not as big of a deal, right? You probably don't know what your name means. You probably couldn't define your name. Maybe you could, but most of us could not. I'll never forget when we found out we were going to have a son. We have four children, three girls and a boy. And when I found out I was going to have my son, I was shocked because I just didn't believe it, right? It took me two ultrasounds to really believe this was going to be a boy. And so I kind of had this moment, and dads, if you have a son, you probably would understand this a little bit. I had three girls, and I loved my girls, and really didn't know how I was going to react with a boy. It was so different in my mind. But I kind of had this moment all of a sudden, at some point in that process where I... I'm going to have a son. You know, guys, you're like, I'm going to have a son, you know, and that's a big deal, right? And I got to teach this boy and raise him into a man. And so I kind of, kind of started thinking about, we started talking about names and the importance, and I love his name, it's a great name. But I kind of went through this phase of thinking, you know, he needs a good name. He needs an important, 
strong name, right? So Amy and I kind of had this discussion, and she ended up winning the discussion, by the way. But we had this discussion about names and a strong name and what it ought to be. And I said, you know, he needs a, he needs a name that when we introduce him, people are going to think, that's an incredible name. So my vote, and you're going to think I'm crazy, it was my vote. It was a strange sort of, I know it never should happen. My vote was Constantine Augustus Camp. <laughs> am, I, am I being serious? It's true. I said, we can call him Gus. Could you imagine me introducing my son? This is Constantine Augustus. Be like, wow, that is a, who is this kid, right? I kind of went through this phase. This is a name, and of course, I love his name now, but that was the name I kind of went through, and I went through this phase because, you know, a name is important. And in Scripture, we, we see the importance of names. We, we see that God ascribes certain names to certain people. For, for example, Adam names Eve because she's the mother of all living things. That's a big deal for him. God changes Abram's name to Abraham to show he's the father of many nations. God changed Jacob to Israel. Remember that story? When the angel comes to Joseph and says, you're going to name this son, he says, you're going to call him Jesus. Why? Because names were important. They had significance. They had meaning. And when people heard them, they understood him. So there's a, there's a name that's used of Jesus that's very important. And I want to spend a few minutes helping you understand it and, and thinking through it together. The name is Yahweh. Now we have a screen up. I want you to put the screen up because these are important things I want you to see. Again, we're, we're talking about the deity of Christ. Does the Bible claim the deity of Christ? If so, how? We've already seen John 1. That's very clear. But Yahweh is an important word. The very top word there. Yahweh is the personal name of God in the Old Testament. Okay, so Yahweh is listed, I think, like 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's interesting because in the original Hebrew, there were no vowels. And so, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And you may or may not know this, but the people of Israel, the Jewish people, that was such a personal name to them. That was so important to them that when they came to that name, when they were reading their scriptures, they wouldn't even pronounce the name Yahweh. They wouldn't even say it. They were so fearful that if they said the name, they may use it in vain. That they didn't, didn't even speak it. So they used the word Adonai, which was just another name for Lord, but it wasn't the personal name of God. Okay? So when they would come through the Scripture and read the Scripture, they wouldn't say the name Yahweh because it's so important to them. They didn't want to mess it up. It's kind of interesting. And if you have your Bibles, you may see it here in just a minute. But if you've ever read through the Old Testament and you've seen the word LORD in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you've seen the LORD in all caps, that's actually the word Yahweh. That's the understanding. As you read it, you know, okay, that's the word Yahweh. Now, probably the best indication of this word and where it came from is Exodus chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip over just for a minute. We're going to pull it up on the screen as well. I want you to flip over to Exodus chapter 3 just for a minute because I want you to see something that's going to be important. Now, again, we're linking this back to Christ, so just pay attention. Kind of stay with me here for a few minutes if you would. If you know the story of Exodus, Moses has fled Egypt at this time. He's been kind of wandering through the desert. He's been tending sheep for 40 years. He hadn't heard anything from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he kind of walks up on the backside of the desert, and there's this bush. You remember the story of the burning bush? 
And the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. Then he walks up to it, and the Lord begins to speak to him through the bush. And so we pick up, right? This is the burning bush, and this is the conversation between Moses and the Lord. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Now God has called Moses to go back to Egypt and to take the people of Israel out, right? To rescue them from slavery. Moses has kind of debated God a little bit. He's not quite certain he can do it. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel... And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And in some scriptures that will be capitalized, by the way, as it is here. And I'll tell you why in a second. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. You see the capital right there? That's what I was talking about. All capital letters in the Lord. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now pull verse 14 up again, if you would, for me just a second. The word Yahweh, verse 14. The word Yahweh and I am come from the same Hebrew word. Okay, that's why it's capitalized here. Right, so G, G, when, when the Lord is speaking to Moses, he's saying to him, listen, I am eternal, I am who I am, I am Yahweh, I am the personal God. He's making this connection to Moses This is very important. Now this is important, we're going to tie this in here in just a second, we're going to go back to the New Testament. Every Jewish person that read the Old Testament, that understood Yahweh, that understood I am. Every Jewish person that read that would have known exactly what was going on and exactly what was happening, okay? Now hold the thought of I am and Yahweh and let's go back now to the New Testament, John chapter 8. We have that on the screen as well. And I know we don't usually flip around a lot, but I think these are very important for you to see and understand. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 54, Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders. He's been arguing with the Pharisees. They've been questioning him. Who are you really? What are you doing here? Are you demonic? They've actually asked him that question. Verse 54 of John chapter 8. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? Now, let's pause for one second, okay? Exodus chapter 3, Yahweh, the response to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now remember, if the Jewish people, go back to verse 58, if the Jewish people had understood Yahweh and had understood I am and the connection, when Jesus claimed to be I am, they would have seen him as blaspheming the name of the Lord. They would have wanted to punish him and stone him, which is exactly what the next verse says. They picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming deity. He was claiming that he was fully God, but the Bible says that he hid himself and he went out of the temple. So, so we see, again, just this mounting amount of evidence in Scripture that, that the Scripture calls Jesus God. We've seen that in John 1. 
Jesus calls himself God. We've seen that in several different instances. We see it now in John chapter 8. There's this clear picture that the Bible referred to Jesus as God and Jesus himself referred to himself as God. So you can't buy this argument that people sometimes make that Jesus didn't say it, nobody really believed it, the Bible didn't teach it, it wasn't until the 2nd or 3rd century that that kind of been added into Christianity. From the beginning here now, from the beginning of the life of Christ, the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus has always been seen as fully God. Now, there are more things. So let's jump back to John chapter 1. Pull the scripture back up. John chapter 1, verse 1. There are more things I want you to see in these few verses. So he's called God. He's seen as God. John chapter 1, again, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This is all speaking of Christ now. In him, that's Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here, here's the second truth. If, if the scriptures call Jesus God, the second indication we have that he was fully God, number two, is that Jesus possesses the attributes of God. Jesus possesses or possessed the attributes of God, right? We've already seen that the scripture calls him God, fair enough. He calls himself God, okay, but calling yourself God and demonstrating that you really are God are two different things, aren't they? It's one thing to call yourself something without actually being that. It's another thing to claim something and then basically to prove it. And so we see all sorts of attributes in the Scripture that point us to the deity of Christ. In other words, if Jesus was fully God, then we should see divine attributes in his life. We should see certain things, certain attributes, and certain characteristics that only God possesses. So one of the first ones we see is that Jesus is the eternal God. But we see in John chapter 1 already, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. All right, so in the beginning was Jesus. Scholars would tell you that if you were going to reorder the Scripture chronologically, if you were going to reorder the Scripture chronologically, the very first verse you would put in would be John 1.1 because it predates creation. It's before the creation. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, right? So we see this eternity past idea predating the creation, predating all that we have on this earth now, that Jesus very simply was eternal. Now we see this in other passages of Scripture, and I don't have time this morning to read all of them, but just for example, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Right? Jesus is called throughout Scripture the eternal God. But we also see in Scripture, not only is He eternal, but Jesus is also all-knowing. Jesus has this ability to know the future, to know your thoughts, and there's some very interesting examples in Scripture of Jesus' understanding. One of the times that we see this, again, is in the first chapter of the book of John. As Jesus begins His ministry, He calls His disciples. And when he calls his disciples, he often makes comments to them and asks them specific questions and kind of challenges them. And one of the things we see in John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles there in verse 43 on down at the end of the chapter, the Bible says the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, and I'm in verse 45 now, John 1, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Right? So in other words, he already understands that this is the Messiah. This is the one that Moses wrote about. This is the one that the prophets wrote about. This is the guy. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's an interesting question. And Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now I want you to notice Nathanael's response right here. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, because Jesus saw things about Nathanael he shouldn't have seen. He understood the conversation and how he was standing under the tree and how he heard about Christ for the first time when Jesus wasn't there. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we see this indication here that Christ knew the future he knew what was going to happen. He knew who was going to betray him. Jesus, if you were to read through the Gospels on several different instances, told his disciples, listen guys, I've got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me, torture me, crucify me. I'm going to be killed and put into tomb. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Over and over again, Jesus foretold the future. Over and over again, we see that he possessed this idea of deity. He had the characteristics of God, knowing all things. Another one of the characteristics of God that we see in Jesus is that everything was created, created through Jesus. Right, John 1, 3, and a lot of people don't quite consider this if they're reading through the book of John, but in the third verse there, first one of chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Right? So Christ was present in the creation. He was part of the creation. He was part of everything being created. An another attribute, we see that he exercised power over nature. Right? We've seen that Jesus can calm the storm. Jesus can walk on the water. Jesus can do miraculous things with nature. We, we think about the miracles of Christ. Right? He turned the water to wine. He calmed the storm. He fed the 5,000, raising Lazarus from the dead. On and on again. We're just kind of building this picture scripturally that Jesus not only claimed to be God, the Bible not only calls him God, he has the attributes of God. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He does miraculous things. Maybe the greatest indication that he was really who he says he was was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I don't have time this morning to go back into that. But on Easter, we got into that and thought through that and, and talked through that. It's just pieces of evidence after pieces of evidence. More and more and more. We're kind of building this case that Jesus was fully God. And here, here's what some people do again. And I'm, I'm going to try to help you think through this just a little bit. Some people say, well, that, that's good. Okay, the Scripture is pretty clear. Obviously, the, the Scriptures call Him God. He claimed to be God. He did miraculous things. But some people say, I, I'm just, again, I'm not sure this is accurate. Right, so how do I know? Now, I, I would refer you to our sermon last Sunday, the idea of the truth of Scripture and, and the eyewitness accounts, and you just can't throw that out. 
But I've got some extra biblical comments. Again, I've tried to bring several of these into every sermon just to kind of show you there are things happening outside of Scripture. I had a neat conversation with a guy a couple of weeks ago. It was after Easter, and he just really enjoyed the, the, the quotes that I'd given from some of these other people, these Roman historians and the Jewish historians. And he basically said, I had no idea that there were things outside of Scripture that talked about Christ. Yeah. There are lots of things outside Scripture that talk about Christ. There are all sorts of examples of people that saw Christ outside of the Word of God. I'm going to give you a few this morning. You don't have time to go into a lot of these, but the Talmud, which is the central text in Judaism, I think we have that up. This is the quote. Now, just understand where we're coming from here. This, This is the central text in Judaism. The Jewish people rejected Christ. They didn't believe he was Messiah. So they're going to question how he kind of gets his power. But listen to what it says. Jesus the Nazarene practiced magic. Isn't that interesting? And deceived and led Israel astray, right? So even the Jewish writers recognize something pretty incredible is going on with Jesus here. He practiced magic. He did some pretty incredible things. Josephus, who's an early Jewish historian, I've read some of his quotes before, about this time. Again, he's not a Christian. This is outside of the Word of God. About this time appeared Jesus, a wise man, if indeed it's right to call him man. For he was a worker of astonishing deeds. See that? He, he did some pretty miraculous things, Josephus says. A teacher of such men as received the truth with joy. And he drew to himself many Jews, many also of Greeks. This was the Christ. So we see, we see these examples outside of Scripture that, that not only point to his deity, they point to his power, they point to the miracles that he did, they point to his power of persuading people. We see the evidence within the Scripture of his knowledge and of all the things that he accomplished. And so I, I would just say to you, right, so, so what does all this mean? Why is this important? If Jesus really could foretell the future and he really did control nature and he really did understand and have power and all the things we just talked about, why does that matter? Because he loved you enough, right? The creator of the universe who gave his life up for you. He loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins. I mean, just, just for a second. We're so used to hearing that and so used to kind of just blowing right by that. Why would a guy who knew all things and a guy who had all power, why would he care about me? More importantly, why would he be willing to give his life for me? I mean, he could have done anything he wanted to do. He had the power to walk on water, to calm the storm, to foretell the future. Why would he care about me? And I think maybe that's the most compelling reason to believe that he was really who he says he was. I want to read you one more verse, and I'm winding this thing up this morning. John 1 again. Pull that back up, beginning in verse 4. John 1, verses 4 and 5. In him, this is Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's truth number three. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Pull verse four back up if you would for me please. Some of us come this morning. Maybe we need a little bit of light in our lives. You ever feel that way? Maybe, maybe we need a little bit of life. Maybe you feel like just things are dead or you're just kind of walking around in darkness or, or you're, you're struggling with the things of life. And Scripture tells us that in Christ is life. In Christ is light. And Christ, who did all these incredible things and knew the future and walked on water and healed people and fed people and was called God, He loved us so much. The Scripture tells us that while we were sinners... 
He died for our sins. Now, I want to speak to the person j- just for a couple of minutes this morning that may not yet know Jesus Christ. Many of us in this room are believers. Some of us are not. And so I just want to challenge you with, with this very simple truth and this very simple verse. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus came to this earth. He did miraculous things. He lived a perfect life. He got up willingly on the cross, and He took your place. And He died for your sins. And through Him, you can experience life. You can experience light. You can experience hope and joy and goodness. And so I'm going to close here in just a second and I'm going to pray and I'm going to stand right down here in the front and I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never answered the question of exactly who Jesus Christ is, if you've never repented of your sins, I want to ask you, come to terms with that in your own heart right now. And if you want to understand it more or talk about it more, I'll be down front to help you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the very clear picture that you paint of Christ, of his deity, Lord, of his eternal nature, of his power, of his glory. Father, the Bible is just very clear that that he was fully God. He claimed to be fully God, Lord. He has the attributes of God, the miracles, and maybe the most compelling thing, Father, salvation comes only through him. There's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. And so right now, Father, just in the, in the quietness of our hearts, Lord, I pray that that person right now that's maybe struggling or unaware or, or unsure of their salvation, I pray right now, Father, that through the power of the Spirit, you would speak directly into the heart of that person. Help them to understand their sin, Father. Help them to understand they've been separated from the Lord. And through the power of Christ and His resurrection and His forgiveness, Father, they can be forgiven of their sins. They can repent, Lord. They can turn to Christ and experience life and experience light, Father. You speak to that one person. May you receive honor and glory in everything we say and do. We love you and serve you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. You respond as as the Lord calls. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.